It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. Each week, we look at sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We've got a gambling segment and a segment where you can ask me a question on anything. Just go to Twitter, hit the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything to ask a question, and we'll try to provide the answer as always. It's brought to you by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. Rick, uh, we're, we're kind of early in college basketball, so we don't really have a college basketball topic to talk about, so there's not a chance really to take a deep dive. We'll probably do that in, in the coming weeks, obviously. But, but I do want to ask you this. As we're doing this on a Thursday. There is a big game um, tonight. It'll, it'll be Xavier in Ohio State. Um, you, know, you know, I was listening to, to the pregame of the Kentucky show the other night, and, and a fan called in, and, and he asked the question of, you know, why doesn't Kentucky play, you know, more big-name opponents at home? And... Um, it, it got me to thinking, and actually Jack Givens and Dave Baker, who are the hosts, tried their best to answer it. And I didn't think that they were trying to soft shoot in any way, shape, or form. But but I think we have gotten to this time and place, though, where the majors don't want to schedule high mid-majors. And the, the other majors don't want to go do home-and-homes with majors, for the most part. And we're kind of stuck in that awful ground of... Yeah, you're going to play a couple of tough games, and yeah, maybe you'll get one of those at home, and you'll try to get a couple neutral, and then you got a lot of the Alabama states and Alabama A&Ms and directional Michigans and all of those. Is it just is what it is, in your opinion, in college basketball, or can something be done? Because there, I, I can, and again, I, I hate to sound like old guy in the thing, and I guess I am, but I can remember a time where it felt like you had so many good non-conference preseason matchups that you just don't really get anymore. Well, I think the big issue is that there's very little flexibility in the non-conference schedule for these teams because of the fact that their conferences keep expanding. You know, in the Big East, you've now got 20 conference games. Good point. So, I mean, that leaves you with there is the reality of they have to make a certain amount of money. So you're going to play by games where you agree a team comes to, in theory, lose to you and you pay them X amount of dollars, but you make all the other money that you keep from the gate and concessions and parking and whatever else that you have control over. So that is somewhat a reality of the sport at this point to where there's just not a ton of flexibility. So you have those things, you add in whatever early season tournament you're in. And maybe, you know, like if you're in the big East and the big 10, you've got the Gavit games going on right now and probably a, a holiday tournament that you're playing in. And that's kind of it for your, big games. And those aren't home and homes. Those are going to be neutral site games. So I think that's kind of what's taken over. We still have some big matchups. Some, And I think there are certain coaches who are more willing to go play those types of games than others. You know, as far as like the way Cal views it in Kentucky, I think they feel like they don't have a lot to be gained to go to other people's gyms. And I kind of get what they're saying. Like they're they're making a lot of money for other people and taking a chance at losing a game that they really don't have to play. Yeah, I think I think it was more along the lines of of bringing bigger opponents to Rupp um, for the fan base. You know, you're paying a pretty good ticket price to see Robert Morris yeah. in Ohio. I mean, I, again, this is probably 15 years ago. I can remember Michigan State and North Carolina and Indiana would come to Kentucky in, in, in a in a non conference, and, and then they go there the next year, vice versa. Or Notre Dame was in there. I mean, there were six, seven really good non-conference games, and it, and it got the reputation, sadly, of 10-loss Tubby. Well, unfortunately, you lose three or four in your league, or, you know, four or five in your league. Maybe you lose in the conference tournament, and you lose in the NCAA tournament. There's six, and you lose three or four outside. Suddenly, you do get the 10 losses. And, um, yeah, it just 
I don't know. It, it feels like it, 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 there are a lot of sacrificial lambs and you're paying a pretty good price as a ticket holder to see those sacrificial lambs. That's the real shame of it is the fans are getting screwed. So how do you fix it is the question. Yeah. I think what you do as the committee is you really value strength of schedule. So right. you give teams an A for effort, basically. If they go and they go play those big games, they're going to get a little bit of a boost and you don't dock them as much for losing those big games. So uh, I guess the, the answer is you factor in overall record less and give more weight to how tough of a schedule did you play and did you pick up big wins along the way, especially outside your conference schedule. That, that, that's the issue for fans too, to a certain extent is, while like say if you're in the Big East, for instance, it's, it's fun to watch those 10 conference games, obviously, that yeah, you get right, at home. Right. And that's all well and good. But it does take away some of the novelty of each season getting to play more big non-conference opponents in your gym. So there's give and take with it for certain. But yeah, I think that the ones who are really getting screwed over are the fans. Yeah, and, and listen, I, I I get what Wes Miller's done with his schedule. It's his first year. He's trying to piece together teams. But but honestly, I mean, they've, they've, they've played one of their three tests in my opinion, in the non-conference already. They're only going to be tested probably twice more, Illinois and and, and Xavier, um, which may be good in the end. Maybe they end up going, uh, you know, whatever it's going to be, 12-1, and 13-1, and 10-1 in the non-league, and, and then lose four or five games in the league and actually make a run for the, the NCAA tournament. I don't I don't know, but um, I just, you know, I, I don't know all the value. Listen, you got to have a handful of bye games. Everybody knows that. It feels like we're getting to the point of more and more and more anymore. No, I... I- completely agree with what you're saying and again i don't know that it's an easy fix but i do yeah, think i don't either ultimately it lies probably in the hands of the tournament selection committee because they're pretty much the ones who set the bar for what these teams need and, to and, do and i will say and, and every every staff has that guy who's really good at figuring out how to maneuver that schedule a bit for the rpi when it always looks like crap a lot of times you go Hey, their RPI or whatever metric you want to use. Hey, that wound up better than I thought it was going to wind up. Well, because you won all those games and maybe you took a team from a, a lesser conference that's going to go on and win a bunch of games in their conference. You know, some of these guys are good at maneuvering through that stuff, too. It's always been a, a moving target with regards to figuring out exactly what the tournament committee wants because it's always a different tournament committee. And also right. times are changing and the way we view different metrics are, are changing and the way we weight those things. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, Never perfect, and it's always moving a little bit. So you can kind of move it in a new direction if you want. And we've we've already seen that happen with the the transfer from RPI to net being kind of the main right. grouping metric that they're using now. So we'll see if if anything happens on that front. I would like to see them try to figure something out, but I don't think it's a huge concern for anyone right now because they're more concerned about making money. Yeah, I mean, and tonight's a great example. I mean, you do have a really good game. Obviously, it's it's it's, it's kind of a made-for-TV game, if you will, the Ohio State Xavier. But then you got UC hosting Presbyterian, for goodness sakes. Yeah, and, and I mean, even that Xavier game, it's at home for Xavier, but it is part of the Gavit games, too. Right, so, you right. know, it's not like those teams scheduled a home-and-home. Home. Right, right. All right, Skinny, let's jump into some of these topics we've got coming off the bye week, the Bengals are sitting at third in the AFC North with a record of five and four, thanks to everyone else pretty much screwing up during the bye week when the Bengals weren't even playing. Bengals won the bye week. That's right. <laughs> they suffered consecutive losses to the Jets and the Browns in the two games leading up to the week off. And there are plenty of questions surrounding Zach Taylor's team at this point. But if you had to pick one question as the most important one that this team absolutely must find an answer to in the second half of the season, if it's going to make the playoffs, what would it be? Um, 
what is your offensive identity? I keep going back to it. I mean, do what you did. Joe Burrow said yesterday they're going to do the things they do best. And I don't know what that is. I, I still don't. Does that mean Joe's going to throw it more? Does that mean we're going to run Joe Mixon more? Does that mean we figured out um, a way to to run it more efficiently and have a more efficient offense? Do, do what you do best. And that's the thing. If I ask you right now, what does this offense do best? What would you tell me it is? We we don't know that for for certain. Their biggest issue right now on both sides of the ball is they're inconsistent. They right. do different things well at different times. Right. You know, um, first half against Cleveland, they ran the ball great. Second half, they didn't run it hardly at all. And part of that was they they got behind the the, the scoreboard a bunch. Um, I I just and maybe that's why they are inconsistent is they don't have that identity. Is it feels like they try to try to piecemeal it together week to week to week. Um. You know, I, I I looked at some things over the bye week, and 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 I asked Brian Callahan this. You know, the last couple games, Jamar Chase got targeted 22 times and only had nine catches. And yeah, he did drop a couple. Does that? And and I've talked about this with a couple other people. You know, there there there's some there are some some metrics that show that Joe Burrow's starting to get a little heavily reliant on Jamar Chase. Is that? Because he's made a bunch of plays and he really trusts him to do that. Has he gotten too reliant on him because maybe he doesn't trust other guys? I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I I I do know that they need to find out what they do best. And Joe talked about it yesterday. You know, I don't know what that is. And and, and just go do it. Go go. I, I'm talking about go dictate to other teams. Stop waiting to to figure out what how to attack. Just go do what you do best. Exactly. Do what you do best, whatever that may be. In my opinion, it's getting under center, Joe Mixon running downhill, and play action passing off of that. That's what I think they do best. Yeah, I'm not even as concerned about Joe Burrow over-relying on Jamar Chase as I am the play calling and the offense as a whole just relying too much on Jamar Chase. For the first seven weeks of the season, a lot of their offense was him hitting the home run and bailing yep. them out late in the yep. first half. And then they get a little confidence rolling. They they get it flowing a little bit better in the second half. But for the most part, a lot of it was that. And I think it was covering up some flaws early oh, on. I do, now I the do teams too. are taking him away a little better. We're seeing what th- this team is actually made of and what the play calling is actually made of. And, and that does concern me. Let me give you my biggest question. That's what's the real defense? Yeah, it, 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 Can this defense play like they did through the first seven games? Granted, it was against a weaker schedule, but even still, I mean, you played the freaking Jets and, and you couldn't get stopped. So something clearly has changed. And I think a big part of that is the run defense, the tackling being so weak on the edge. I think teams have figured that out, that the Bengals are fairly strong up the middle, especially with those defensive tackles. But Hendrickson, Hubbard, the linebackers, the, the cornerbacks, the safeties – aren't tackling very well. And so they're getting attacked with some outside runs. I think you're going to continue to see that. I mean, them giving up 70 points or 75 points, rather the last two weeks to the jets and the Browns, that's a major concern. And if they can't get that fixed, they don't have a chance to get back to playing somewhat consistent football. Yeah. In fairness, they only gave up 68 points. The offense gave up seven, but you're right. I mean, <laughs> fair, enough. fair enough, but, but no, but that's still a big, that's still a big number. Yeah. And, and, you know, I thought Jesse Bates was really honest Monday talking about himself and how he's not played well and the, and the metrics show that he is not. Um, I didn't even realize till somebody asked the question in this regard that he only had one pass defense this year. And I went and looked and went, that can't be right. 
And it is right. He had 15 last year. Um, the PFF metrics show him as the 75th ranked safety out of 92. Um, again, I don't think they're the be-all, end-all, Rick, I, but I do think that they do a good job of at least, hey, my eyeballs see this, and they kind of confirm what your eyeballs are seeing because they don't know what guys are doing on every play. But um, it gives you at least a, a ballpark. And then the fact the guy was honest in his assessment of, I have to play better. I was not in a good headspace. I think the contract stuff really did affect him. I don't think he was making business decisions. I don't think. In that first half of the year, maybe he was. Maybe he was honest enough with himself behind closed doors to say, you know what, I could have come up and made a stick there a little harder, could have knocked one loose, could have defended that pass instead of him catching it, me shoving him out of bounds or coming over late and making an easy tackle instead of throwing my body at it. Maybe he did. I I don't think he's that type of guy, but he obviously was troubled by the way he played the first eight games because he's cost himself some money too. Um, So I think he's talking about playing better. I I do think, you know, we talked to Trey Hopkins yesterday. I'm going to write a story on him today. Um... You know, he didn't play great the first half, and he talked about that. And, and, and in fairness to him, he's got a built-in excuse. He's coming off of a knee surgery. And, and quite frankly, if they had another center on the roster they trusted, Rick, I, I, th- I think I think you'd have seen him start the year on the pup list and let him continue to rehab that knee. Instead, they kind of had said they had to say, Trey, give it your best, man, because you're, you're really all we got. And he gave it his best. It wasn't very good. I think it was a good sign that he practiced in full yesterday when he's been usually given Wednesdays off to rest the knee. Now, they, they are coming off of a bye week, but he even said that he – kind of wants that Wednesday practice to get more reps in. He understands why he wasn't doing it because he said, you know, he'd come out of a game and the knee wouldn't feel right for a few days and that extra day of rest kind of helped. But, you know, he's had another week to rehab. It's another two weeks since they played a game, which helps. I think they need him as well to help run the football and and, and play up to, to a standard he's played the last couple of years. So I do think it was really good to hear some honesty from a couple of guys on both sides of the ball of, I got to play better. And and those guys are two guys up the middle. I mean, it's a lot of things in life. Baseball's an up the middle game. Football's an up the middle game. How strong are you up the middle? And right now, one of the guys, the main guy in the middle on offense has struggled. And the main guy in the middle on your defense has struggled. And hence, you're going to have some struggles. And uh, if those two guys can play up to the standard, especially Bates, then, then maybe things will be good in the second half. I also think there was a natural regression that was always going to happen sure. with Jesse Bates. I said before the season that when everyone Not was to this clamoring. Degree, though. That, well, no, 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 definitely not. But when everyone was clamoring before the season about he should get an extension, I didn't really have a problem with the Bengals not extending him. And, and I have that on the record just because I never felt like he was one of the best safeties in the NFL, like we all talked about. And, and I think he's a solid player. I think he's a good player. But quite honestly, I think he had to make too many plays last year by the nature of the Bengals defense being pretty bad. And, and yeah, he made some more plays on the ball last year in coverage too, but a lot of it had to do what he was doing coming up in the run game. And, and I, I just, I think he's solid. I think he's good. He's not playing that way right now. I don't think he's one of the best safeties in the NFL. I think the Bengals made the right call here and maybe they will still resign him or extend him, but and they can franchise and they can, they can still franchise it, tag him too. Well, but I also think they'll get him at a better rate at this point. Yeah, he, oh, no question. You know, I mean, because he, he has proven to be inconsistent and does not look anything like one of the best safeties in the NFL at this point. So, no, agreed. Uh, and, and I'll other, be interested other, to see what happens with with that, if they can talk him into a, a better deal at this point. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I he's going to be back with this team in one way or shape or form or the other, whether it's a, a new contract or whether it's the, him getting the franchise tag and then maybe even working out a long-term deal off of that he's going to get paid a good chunk of change as a franchise tag guy too. Um, the other thing too is they got to get Trey Wayne's healthy and he's got to be able to play at least half of these games in the second half of the season, at least half, if not 
five or six of them. You can't keep trotting Eli Apple out there. He's ranked how, 118th out of 119 cornerbacks. I how mean, much longer do you think he has? That's a great question. You know, um, uh, I saw boss, everyone bring it up this week. Yeah, our boss actually asked me about maybe doing a column on Wednesday before the question got asked again about, hey, here, how about doing something on maybe the two biggest surprise players on the Bengals in the second half that are going to help them are Trey Flowers and Vernon Hargraves. And then he heard the same thing that we heard in the press conference yesterday, which was Eli Apple's our starting corner. Um, Zach was not all in on Trey Flowers and Vernon Hargraves other than they've played a lot of football in this league. We got to find out what their roles are. And in fairness, and he, he is right, Vernon Hargraves has literally only had before yesterday, one and a half practices with this team. Um, yeah, he was signed a couple of weeks ago, but they had the bye week, so he only got a chance to practice one and a half times. So um, I, I, I will say this. I think the leash is really short for Eli Apple, even on Sunday. If, if he doesn't get off to a good start on Sunday or gives up a big play or two on Sunday, I got a feeling you'll see Trey Flowers in there pretty quickly for him. That's just, that's just a gut feeling. And then where they go from there, it would be a matter of, how would that replacement play? And maybe Eli snaps out of it, but it, I mean, listen, the guy was a first-round talent. Nobody argued that he was not a first-round talent. At times in New York, he played that way. He quickly regressed out of that. Um, he was a flop in Carolina, and he hasn't been very good here. And and so, um, you know, at, at what point do you just say, the guy just can't play at a high level in the NFL? I think we might be there. I, th- I think we might have reached that point already. Right. So. Everyone's just waiting to figure out who the replacement is and how they're going to move on from him. And, and they, they obviously want to stand by him. It's like, yeah, it, is and this going to become Bobby Hart again? Are we going right. to get to a Bobby Hart situation here? I can't take another Bobby Hart situation, skinny. No, I'm, I'm noting you. And, and, you know, they obviously don't believe in Darius Phillips. And I don't know why. All I know is when Darius has been in games over the last few years, and, and granted he's injury prone and maybe that's their fear. They, they want him as a punt returner and as an emergency corner. I mean, the guys made a bunch of plays on the football. That's all I know. And, and, but for whatever reason, they don't like him. And so that, you know, I can beat, beat my shoe against the, 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 the gavel and um, yell from the top mountain uh, about why don't you play him? But you know, it's not my decision to make. It's their decision to make. They got to live with it. But um, yeah, for whatever reason, you know, he hasn't really gotten much of a chance. And it was weird that the, the praise even of Eli Apple yesterday from uh, from Zach Taylor wasn't all that high. The question was, there's been a lot of criticism of Apple externally from the fan base. Why are you guys comfortable with keeping him as the starter? Now, th- this th- is this damning praise in your opinion? Here we go. I think he does what we ask him to do. I like the I think he does. I don't know who has got him under fire. We expect our guys to play at a high level, and Eli's got a short memory. If you give up a play that corners are going to give up, he does a great job of kind of putting that away and moving on to the next play. Hey. That's critical. It's one of the hardest positions to play in all football. It's one of my wife's favorite things to say, and it's true. I don't envy the position those guys get in, but he does a great job. He plays with a high degree of confidence, and he's done some really good things for us this year. Hey, I mean, in fairness, he's right about that. Eli Apple, it is probably essential for him to be able to move on to the next play after he gives up a bad one because there's a whole lot of bad ones. I mean, yeah, that's, is it, was that is that damning praise or what? Or what? I mean, I'd say so. When you start bringing in your wife's uh, football theories yes, into yes. The, the explanation, probably not the best situation mm-hmm. for Eli Apple. No, but they keep trotting him out there. And, you know, I guess maybe he is the best they've got. Well, that that's not a great sign, and it no. goes back to my original point about the defense being my biggest concern and the biggest question here in the second half. If they don't get that right, they've got no chance of making the playoffs, and Eli Apple being the best they got at cornerback definitely concerns me in that regard. No, fair, fair enough. All right, we'll talk more about the Bengals and Raiders coming up in our betting segment, but first got a couple more topics to get to. Moving over to the college football side of things, the third edition of the college football playoff rankings were released this week, and the top seven teams remained unchanged. 
One writer at SI.com, Ross Dellinger, wrote in his recap that it's, quote, a more likely than not scenario that Cincinnati will find its way into the top four. Quote, Cincinnati remained in place at number five, well positioned to jump into the top four if any of the four in front of it stumble. And that's probably a more likely scenario than not, Dellinger wrote. Number three, Oregon has to play Utah twice. And number two, Alabama gets Georgia in the SEC championship game. Number four, Ohio State, meanwhile, has two top 10 teams left on the schedule in Michigan and Michigan State. Skinny, what do you think of his comment that it's a more likely scenario than not that UC jumps into the top four? Yeah, I kind of brought it up last week. I mean, where they were sitting at five, they didn't need a whole lot more chaos to happen. They just needed a little bit more. Um, You know, the fact that Notre Dame keeps bubbling up, they're going to probably jump to seven next week because I think you'll agree with me on this. Ohio State's going to beat Michigan State. And if Michigan State beats Ohio State, then I think Ohio State even goes behind it. And that opens the door for a top four spot. I don't think Ohio State's going to lose. So suddenly now Notre Dame's at seven, right? Um, Ohio State and Michigan are going to play an elimination game. And Oregon, as he mentioned, they're a three-point underdog this week, Rick. A three-point dog. They're the number three team in the country, supposedly, in, the, in, in this. And they're a three-point dog. Isn't that dog. silly? This has been my yes. point about Oregon all along. Yeah, no, and that's the thing. I, 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 and, I, you know, Alabama's probably going to lose to Georgia. Uh, so I do, I think when you're talking likely scenarios, I think the most likely scenario to me, and it's been this way since it, the, the rankings came out the way they did last week, is Georgia finishes one, Ohio State finishes two, um, UC finishes three, four at worst, and then, hell, Notre Dame might sneak in with the one loss being to Cincinnati at four. I think UC should already be in over Oregon. I just don't, the Oregon thing does not make sense to me at all, especially when they've got the excuses for Alabama and the excuses for Ohio State and the excuse for Michigan over Michigan State. Like, why then does Ohio State not go in over Oregon? Even though because they of the lost head to head. Him. because of the head to head, but but you already made the you've got Michigan and Michigan State, which Michigan State already beat Michigan right. head to head more recently than Ohio State, and the answer is well because Michigan is a better overall team, looks like the better overall team now. Who do you think looks like the better overall team right now between Ohio State Oregon? Who do you think is going to be favored if those two teams play? It's no going question. to be Ohio State by more than a touchdown. Yeah, no question. I, I I don't disagree with that part of it. Well, the, um, and that's the inconsistency of like we're going off the eye test because this team looks like the better team. So head to head doesn't matter here. But then you get to Oregon and Ohio State and all of a sudden the head to head is. Well, I, 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 think, I, I think the difference is the Oregon win on the road versus Michigan State winning at home. I think that's the big difference. I mean, that's just they, they lost to freaking Stanford. They lost to Stanford and they're an underdog to going in against a, a three lost Utah team. this Yeah. And, I, and, just, honestly, and honestly, they could finish with three losses. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I hope really they could. do. I, I would honestly love to see that using the strength of schedule number is stupid. And that seems to be what the committee is doing right now. It's it's placing way too much value on middling Pac-12 teams and Big Ten teams that UC has already proven it likely wouldn't have any trouble handling consistently. Right. If you based on what we saw against Indiana and especially Notre Dame, but Indiana is like the type of team I'm talking about. Those are the types of teams right now. Indiana, Maryland, Colorado out in the Pac-12. Those are the teams right now that are giving these teams the eye test pass or the strength of schedule test pass over UC. And it's like, well, UC would be... 14 to 17 point favorites over all these teams. Yeah. The, the thing, if I'm a UC fan that I would fear more than anything now, isn't them not getting in if they're undefeated. Cause I think if they are, they, they, the, the path will get them there. 
My fear now is them losing to a Houston in the in the in the AAC championship. I, I would fear that more than 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 finishing undefeated and not getting in. I'd fear the loss more. Yeah, and I mean, really, that's it's got to be in some ways an unbelievable year to be a UC football fan. I mean, this is surreal to be in this position. At the same time, it feels like all they have is fear. Like it's sitting there. Right, you, you, right. All you can do is worry about you not getting into the college football playoff and who else you need to lose. And, and now I throw the there. monkey wrench of they might lose to Houston in the, into yeah, the mix, which is what they've been feeling the whole time too, as an undefeated team, right? There's no, there's no big wins left. It's just landmines left on, on your schedule that you could slip up against. And, and, and a couple and of pretty good lands and, and, and a couple of pretty good landmines in SMU and Houston. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be tough the rest of the way, but I am to the point where, I think Oregon might be the only domino left that needs to fall for UC to be in. If they yeah. go, in, assuming yes. they go undefeated. Obviously. Yeah, I think that's it. What either them or Bama, and I still I think they get in over two loss Alabama. So, I really ah, do. man, I'd be very concerned about doing. I mean, what if Maybe. Alabama's other losses to Georgia, and it's a close I, 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 loss. Understood. I'm going back to now as a Kentucky fan, kicking want to kick somebody in the ass for a, what, what would happen to a one loss Kentucky at well, this point? In all look, seriousness, what would it, happen to a one loss Kentucky? Yeah, I hate to tell you this. Kentucky is nothing like the team we thought they were when we were talking no, I, about them being I, a potential one-loss team. I under, understood, but but in my opinion, they have no business losing at home to Tennessee, and they're better than Mississippi State. I, they they may have screwed up a really golden opportunity for them too. That, oh, that I, they absolutely did. Damn it on them. <laughs> they definitely screwed up an opportunity. But what we've seen from them is they aren't that team. I mean, they're no, not no, they're not right. the type of team that could be a one-loss team because on neither side of the ball, they're not consistent enough and they have some major flaws. Yeah, I'm going to go watch them uh, humble New Mexico State and I'm going to feel really good about it on Saturday. <laughs> good for you. All right, one more stop here. We'll move on to baseball before we get into our betting segment. There were some conflicting reports on the Reds over the last week. At first, reports were saying the Reds were open to dealing anyone and were looking to slash payroll, and other teams were calling on Luis Castillo. Those reports were followed up by more reports from Ken Rosenthal saying it's doubtful that the Reds would actually trade Castillo this offseason, and they weren't getting offers that they felt were fair enough. Skinny, do you think the Reds should be looking to trade Luis Castillo right now? I don't because he's still under contract control, basically. I, I think he's arbitration eligible, but he's not free agency eligible yet. I, I don't think – I'm just a big believer in 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 wait till the free agency period comes. Because, you know, if you do catch the lightning in a bottle with a couple of young guys and, and with what's on your roster, I'd rather still have this guy around pitching for you on a, on a fairly decent contract – as opposed to completely, if you trade him off, you might as well make this a complete fire sale at this point, because he's still a young guy with good stuff, who's a who's who can wins who can win games in this league, and again, he comes at a pretty good price at this juncture. So, it, yeah, it, I, 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 unless you got wowed by some team that that's maybe giving you a proven player or two or or, or a top level prospect that's damn near major league ready that's under control for another few years contract wise, I'm I'm not pulling the trigger either. You better not trade him right away to the first team's making an offer. Agreed. I know that much. I mean, we've already seen them do that once this offseason where they just didn't negotiate at all. If nothing else, they should be saying, yeah, we're not getting offers that are anywhere in the ballpark of what we want for Luis Castillo. He's very cheap. He's a proven starting pitcher. We have him under control for two more years. No chance, but we're going to trade him for what we're getting offered. That should be the automatic initial response, no matter what they're actually thinking or planning on. So kudos to them for actually having half of a brain here in this situation. Now, in terms of would I actually trade him? Like you said, it would have to be 
a perfect deal that's giving me some big time prospects. And I mean, I'm not saying that a team is going to trade me a potential MVP candidate that's already ready to go, but I am expecting a couple of young guys that are almost major league ready that have a chance to right. join this young core that you're trying to bring up. And it would have to be at least one pretty special prospect. So if you're not getting that, then what what are you really doing if you can't afford a proven starting pitcher for seven million? For you know, I mean, we'll see what it is after arbitration next year. But seven no, million go for up, this but year, yeah, yeah. right? And and still under control. Like you have someone has to pitch these games. So someone has to be out there. You already got rid of Wade Miley for ten million a year. Yeah, I I I, I can. I, I wouldn't have a problem dealing Sonny Gray. Um, I would have a problem dealing Luis Castillo because of this. I mean, you got a rotation of, of Luis Castillo and Tyler Malley and Nick Lodolo, if he's the real deal, and Hunter Green, if he's the real deal, and of Vlad Gutierrez. Again, I, I need the two young guys to be the real deal, but um, I'll go under that assumption for the time being. Then, okay, I can I can live with that in the short term, and let's see how you build around that. Sonny Gray, you've got for one more year at right. $10.2 I'm fine with if you want to trade yeah. him away that that makes more sense to me as well but a guy like Luis Castillo who by the way I'm probably lower on than most people yeah, I don't I'm think pre- he's I'm pretty high on <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's a top tier pitcher I don't think he's a number one starter really on a good team but that being said he's a proven guy he's clearly a, a starting pitcher that's going to go out and give you innings and be more than solid if nothing else and to be giving a, a guy like that away who's cheap and under control for two more years I'm to the point, Skinny, where I just don't know if the term rebuild really makes a lot of sense, period, especially when so many teams are always tanking and always rebuilding. And you just saw what the Braves did, rebuilding the roster in the middle of a year and making a run like they did. I think you should always be open to the idea of things are going right for us. We're getting some good luck with injuries. This guy's having a career year or this guy's pitching out of his mind. Let's go roll with it and and make a run. And I I think that might be the way to go in today's day and age. I I understand the idea of tear it all down and rebuild with young prospects, but in reality, can the Reds really do that? I mean, are they really, are they, have they shown any, they have not proven to be an organization that that produces a lot of top quality prospects. And they don't even have the patience to do it. I mean, they already kind of interrupted the process in in, what, 2019 when they started uh, getting guys from the Dodgers and everything else. I mean, I get where they're at right now. You've got to slash some payroll, I guess, but I don't know that it it, it makes sense to tear it all the way down and just blow things up at any point now. How much have they already slashed? I mean, they've already slashed 20, 30 some odd million. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think you just slash to slash at this point. I I think if you got a guy like Luis Castillo for the next two years, who's going to go out there and take the ball every fifth day and, and give you a chance to win games for that price, why would you not hang on to him? Right, exactly. What if all of a sudden these young guys are really good? And you, no, that's my, you that, have that's my, that's my three point, or four right. really good pitchers at a very low cost, and you can go and make some moves two years and, from now. And, and, and potentially, and I need some of the, some things to come to fruition. I need six, Nick Senzel to play like the player you thought he was going to. I need a healthy Jesse Good Winker. luck with that. I need Joey Votto to catch another season with lightning in a bottle. I need 
Eugenio Suarez to play like he did for the last... I mean, there's a lot of things I need, but I'm not asking guys to do things they've never done before. Eugenio Suarez has done good things before. Nick Senzel, his rookie year, I thought did a lot of good things. Um, I'd like a second-year jump from Jonathan India, even though that's probably a big ask, because if I go back and look at his numbers, if you ask me to replicate those, I think I'd take the exact same season from from Jonathan India. But I do need Winker to be healthy. Um, I need Tyler Stevenson to, now he's a full-time catcher, to be a 20-plus home run guy. Um, so I'm, I'm asking for some things, but some of those things can happen. And if they do, I, and, and, and again, we get some of the young kids to pitch the way we're hoping, then maybe this team is way more interesting than we expect them to be. And, and if that's the case, I do want Luis, Luis Castillo around pitching big games. It's actually sickening that this offseason has such a cloud over it. And it, it, it's so pessimistic from a and dude, Red we're, fans perspective. We're still in November. <laughs> right, but like, think about the guys you just named off. Think about the young talent. You've got the freaking rookie of the year to go along with multiple other rookies who look promising that made appearances last year. And yet everyone's thinking about, you got no shot, let's blow the whole thing up. It's right. like, Reds fans should be optimistic right now with some of the talent that's coming up in the pipeline. And the management and ownership has given them absolutely no reason to be. It's disgusting. And it goes back to the Nick Crawl comment of, of reallocating assets and, and building through the farm system. I mean, when, when the GM says that, that makes it sound like, here we go again. And maybe and maybe the reallocating of assets, maybe they've reallocated all they need to reallocate at this point. I don't know that. We'll see. It's uh, yeah. I I mean, how how could you have faith or confidence in what's about to happen here? Mm. Fair enough. No. All right, let's move on to our betting segment where you got back on track last week. You went eight and four. You are now seventy fifty nine and one overall. I am under five hundred again. I I went five and seven last week. I'm sixty four sixty five and one overall. Not a good week for me. Uh, hashtag fade Rick B is becoming a thing online again. I've seen a few weeks in a row. So uh, I hope you guys are, are making and, money at my expense. And let me just tell you, people, good luck betting the NFL. Good oh, luck my to you. God. Wow. It's a joke. It's crazy. It is an absolute joke right now. You just have no idea from game to game what, what these teams are going to do. All right. Thursday night, 820 p.m. We've got the Pats at the Falcons. The Pats are a six and a half point favorite. The total is 47. Yeah, I, I love Atlanta here. I don't know. I don't even have real good logic for loving them here. Maybe it's the short week and, and the fact that, that it's at home. Um, you know, the, 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 the Patriots have actually won their last three road games at Carolina, at the Chargers, and at the Texans. Um, two of those by a field goal, though, the Texans and the Chargers. And they seem to be playing better. I mean, their defense the last two weeks against Carolina and the, and the Browns gave up all of 13 points. Um, they're, they're running the ball really efficiently and effectively, and it's allowing Mac Jones to not be put into tough situations. And he's been really good, completing 69% of his passes. Just for whatever reason, um, this, this just it, it, this this is the NFL that we live in today, where teams from week to week aren't the same. The, the Cowboys get blown out by by Denver and at home and turn right back around and hang a forty burger on Atlanta and look like they could have hung sixty if they wanted. And so I'm going to go with the theory that look, Atlanta laid an egg on Sunday. They're four and five, so they're not um, you know a super awful team. And I think being back at home on a Thursday night, I think they get the outright win. I'm going to go Atlanta twenty seven twenty four. So Atlanta and what the over for me. And that's, just, that's a that's a super analytic um, way I did that, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah, obviously. But, you know, it's you're right, though. I mean, it is from week to week and especially the underdogs have been hitting at a crazy rate. Fifty seven percent dogs are, are covering the spread right now in the NFL. I'm going 
Falcons to cover here. I think they're going to bounce back, make this a close game, but I do have the Patriots winning it outright. I've got 27-21 as the final, so that's Falcons and the over for me as well. Saturday at noon, we've got Michigan State at Ohio State. Ohio State is a 19-point favorite. The total is 68.5. Skinny, is this an elimination game for these two teams? Yeah, yeah, the loser's out, um, and I don't think the loser's going to be Ohio State. The, the funny part is, um, you know what Ohio State was favored over Purdue? 21. Right, in the 20 and a half is what I got it at, actually. Yeah, and it started but, yeah. at 19, I believe. Right, so, so think about that. So they're the same favorite over Michigan State that than they does, were over Purdue? That doesn't seem right to me, I, and I it it makes me really want to take Michigan State. Oh, I'm going to, because I, I think... I do think Ohio State still is vulnerable defensively. I, I they're, they're going to give up. Too. They're going to give up some. And Michigan State, I think, is really good offensively because they can run it with Kenneth Walker. Um, they've got a, a couple of big play receivers. Um, and I think Michigan State's a good team. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think this is probably the the, the last game. Well, they only got two more anyway. They got them in this game and home to Penn State. They're going to finish the regular season ten and two, in my opinion, with the the two losses at Purdue, which has been the upset team of of the year. Um, and they still scored 29 in that game, and they're going to lose this game to Ohio State. I think it's going to be fairly high score, and I'll go Buckeyes 45, Spartans 31. So, 31. Mich- so Michigan State to cover and the over for me. I mean, the total is 68 and a half, so they're expecting a shootout. Yeah, it's it's a huge total here. We are on opposite sides of this game altogether, and I still am not entirely sure that I'm going to do this in, in real life when I get to the border on Saturday when I'm making my trip over to Lawrenceburg, but right now for the purposes of this show i am going to take ohio state simply because i hate betting against that offense i hate I being in the second half and worrying about the offense just scoring two or three more touchdowns in and the they fourth score- quarter and and well, that's the thing. well like a ding dong and i didn't bet i didn't bet the game but i had it on a on a i we i play in a picks league that you played in a couple of years um and i had purdue plus 20 and a half and the whole second half i'm listening as i'm driving back from broadcasting state soccer in columbus listen the ohio state game and purdue goes down and scores and gets it right back around the number ohio state right back and scores here comes purdue back to score but they could never get it back under the number because ohio state kept scoring you're, you're right it was it's frustrating to listen to when you have the other team knowing they're not stopping ohio state yeah ohio state has covered the number in five of the last seven including last week against purdue i am going to roll with the Buckeyes here for the purpose of our pick OSU and the under for me, 42, 21. All right. And that takes us to the other noon game that we have locally, which is the new Mexico state at Kentucky game. The wildcats are 36 point favorite and the total is 59 and a half. New Mexico state is so epically bad. I mean, they're just horrifically bad. They do have a win over South Carolina state this year, Rick, they beat them 43, 35. Here's the point totals. They've given up their last handful of games. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. 59 to Alabama, and you can imagine when they decided to stop scoring is the only time they stopped scoring. 35 to Utah State, which might be the fewest they've given up all year. 48 to Hawaii, 55 to Nevada, 37 to San Jose State. 35, as I mentioned, to to that juggernaut South Carolina State. 34 to New Mexico, uh, 28 to San Diego State, and 30 to UTEP. So San Diego State's, the, and they don't score a lot. They're good defensively. So 28 is the fewest. I, I think Kentucky wins this by whatever number they want. It's senior day. Um uh, I, I think this is kind of a, a finally a get right game. The Vandy game for a while looked like it was going to be yeah. the first half. They rolled up 31 points um, and then didn't lay an egg in the second half, took their foot off the gas. I, I don't think they do that here. I, I will say, I think I'd bet the first half number, which is probably going to be around 2021. I'm going to guess. I agree. I would have um, wish I would have done that last weekend. 
Yep, exactly. Um, so I think I'd bet the first half number, but I'm going to go Kentucky. I think it's the, the feel good game of the 52 to seven. Yeah, we're really close on this one. I was going 49 to seven. I, I think the same way as you. I think we're, we're both under the number, by the way. You stayed under just by the hook. Yeah, just there by, by point. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're right. I did, didn't I? <laughs> but but I'm, I'm in the same boat there. I, I just think New Mexico State is so bad that they're really not going to be able to move the ball at all on Kentucky. Yeah, I, so. I, I, I think the, I think just getting back on track from a win perspective was was a big deal for the for Kentucky. Um, and they did. And it, again, it's Vandy, and it helps it was Vandy, but they were really convincing in the first half. Yeah, the and, offense looked good. You know, and, and it's funny. I, I, I the Louisville game now is shaping up to be a much better game because Louisville's offense is really clicking. But Kentucky finishes nine and three. I've seen I've seen a bowl matchup, a New Year's bowl matchup, not one of the New Year's six, but it's a New Year. Well, it is a New Year's six technically. It's out of the kind of out of the realm of the top bowls. Um, but I think an Outback Bowl matchup with Wisconsin, maybe. I, I think I'd sign me up for that. All right. Let's go to our last college game of the weekend, Saturday, 3.30. We've got SMU at Cincinnati, a big one. Ten and a half point favorites are the Bearcats. The total is 65. I mean, you see as a non-covered machine at the moment, right? It's not good. Not good if you've been betting on the Bearcats recently. Which no, no, but I I actually closed the parlay out with South Florida on Friday Friday night. It was a four teamer that started on Thursday, so I feel bad. I was not rooting against UC. I was just rooting against the number, and I actually felt comfortable. I bought I bought it up to twenty. It was twenty three and a half. I bought it up to twenty four and a half, and at one time it did get to twenty four, but it quickly went to seventeen, and then they kind of let them hang around for a bit, and you know they still got a nice comfortable win, but not by the number. This SMU team can flat score. They don't stop anybody, but they score on on everybody. Um, you know, they're averaging in the high 30s. And yes, I know it's the UC defense, but the UC defense of late gives up some points. And um, because of that, I think UC wins it. But this feels this feels kind of shootouty. I'm going to go 38-31 UC to win it, but SMU to cover and to go over the total. I'm with you on the the over for sure. This is another game where I, I don't feel good about it at all. UC covered five of the first six weeks of the season. They haven't covered for four straight now. I said I was going to swear them off. That spread that spread seems really small though, doesn't it? I mean, to me, I, I would think that this would be a fourteen ish in my opinion. I would, yeah, I was expecting more along the lines of fourteen or thirteen and a half, which I don't know how much of a difference that really makes. Right. But the ten and a half is, I don't. It's just hard for me to to bet against UC in this situation. In reality, I'm probably not going to play this game just because I hate it. But for the purposes of this podcast, again, I'll say. UC 42, SMU 24. So that's UC and the over. All right, let's move back to the NFL where Sunday 405, we've got the Bengals in Las Vegas playing the Raiders. The Bengals are a one point favorite on the road. The total is 49 and a half. Skinny, let me ask you this. We talked about a little bit last week. Do we feel more confident now that the Raiders are starting to fall apart here? Yeah, um, that that's the part for me is I think that finally all the crap that's gone on. I didn't think they were a great team to begin with. I thought they were a good team around a 500 team, but now that you know you've got losing your coach and you've got your 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 drunk driving wide receiver and your gun toting cornerback, um, yeah, that that's just been some dysfunction that they've had to f- operate through. And then everybody keeps talking about the great Gus Bradley and boy, how it's hard to face a good Gus Bradley. Their defense sucks. 
<laughs> it, it's it is terrible. Um, I like their ends. I do. Um, and Gakwe and and Max Crosby, they do put some pressure on it. that. That kind of worries me a little bit. But Jonah Williams, I think, has had a pretty good season. I think Riley Reeves had a pretty good season. So I, I, I eliminate those ends. I mean, the, the corners both played for the Chargers last year. Chargers obviously didn't want either one of them. So here they are now playing for Gus because Gus was defensive coordinator there last year. Um, Pat Mahomes had himself a get right game last week. Um, it, you know, the, the, the whole concept of uh, they don't play much complicated stuff. Okay, well, I, I, apparently whatever they play, it doesn't work very well. I mean, the, their two best performances this season were against the Steelers at a time where the Steelers' offense was reeling, and the Steelers' offense isn't very good to begin with either. And the Bears, when they gave up 20 and lost to the Bears 20 to 9, that offense is terrible. Um, they gave up 30 or 24 to Denver. Denver's offense is terrible. Um, they gave up 30 or 22 to the Eagles. They gave up 23 to the Giants and they gave up 41 to the Chiefs. Their defense is terrible. I'm going to go Bengals. Bengals get back on track. 31-27 Bengals. So that's Bengals and the over here, way over the total at uh, 58. So I like the Bengals here too. And I think this will be a fairly close game, but I think the Raiders are just a shell of the team they were a couple weeks ago. And quite honestly, I'm kind of with you that I think they're a little bit of smoke and mirrors to begin with to start the season. I never thought they were great. I'm going to go. And listen, listen, the Henry Ruggs, losing Henry Ruggs, you know, from a football perspective is huge because then you gang up on Darren Waller and their other best receivers, Hunter Renfro, who's the king of the 10 yard catch. And he's really good at it. I mean, I like Hunter Renfro as a complimentary guy. But losing Henry Ruggs took away a big part of their offense, in my opinion. At least the threat of a deep ball and the occasional home run. They've lost that. Definitely. I'm going to go Bengals 28, Raiders 21. So I'm Bengals and the under just barely, just by the half a point there. Sunday, 8.20 p.m., we've got Steelers at the Chargers. The Chargers are a a five-and-a-half point favorite. The total is 47. I mean, this all depends on Ben, in my opinion. Does he play or not play? Um I'm I'm a little surprised there's a line hung on this game at the moment because we don't know. And you could see in the Mason Rudolph experience on, on Sunday, what a difference Ben still makes. The fact they're trotting that old man still out there tells you how bad their quarterback situation really is. Man, the Chargers defense is horrible too. I mean, they, they can't stop a soul and they're just so reliant on Justin Herbert slinging it around. And last week he couldn't sling it enough and they lost at home to Vikings. They, they've lost a bunch of home games. Uh, well, they lost their last two home games, I should say. And they lost earlier to the Cowboys. So they've lost three three games at, at home. I, I, if Ben plays, I think the Steelers cover the number. I think the Chargers still are good enough to win this. So I'm going to give you two numbers here. I'm going to go without Ben, Chargers 27-17. With Ben, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go Chargers 27-24. So I'll give Ben an extra touchdown there. All right, so it's 27-24 with them, which that would be the over right. and Steelers. Yeah, correct. Okay. And without Ben, 20, I'll go 27-13 without Ben. Mason Rudolph is just horrific. I mean, I feel like this is cheating. You're just getting to take two numbers here. Well, I, I mean, I, well, well, but if I was going to bet this on the day you of would betting, wait, I, I, yeah, I realize yeah. that, but I'm just yeah. saying that's not in the spirit of the way we've done things. And we've we've always had injury questions in the past, and we, we don't well, give out is, two the, numbers. We just the, 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 let it this run. is a this this is a pretty big one though, whether he plays or not plays, right? Yeah, I mean, I would have argued Derrick Henry was a similar situation a week ago, and and, and I feel bad. I had a friend of mine actually is in a, one of those elimination leagues, right? Where you know you or you, you take one team, and although survivor, the, yeah, survivor yeah. thing. And in his league, a tie counts as a loss. Oh yeah, I've, I've seen that. 
Well, he has to, he had to lock in on Friday. At that point, Ben was going to play. Ben doesn't play. They tie. He loses. Right. I had another guy last night. He's in a similar league. They were down to four people in his league. Um, thirty eight hundred bucks to the winner. One person had uh, he had Pittsburgh. Another guy. Who who else? Somebody else got beat outright. That shouldn't have lost last Sunday. Who am I missing? Oh, Arizona. Somebody had Arizona. They didn't realize Kyler wasn't going to play against against Carolina. And then the other two guys won. So there's two guys left. So he gets eliminated off that. Another league, though, a guy said ties or wins. So he picked, picked Pittsburgh and still survived it. And they're, they're, they're down to eight people. So uh, that, that's a tough one, man, to, 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 to get locked in on a team and then have the COVID thing pop up on a Saturday. That's brutal. First of all, can we just have a moment to say that that 16-16 tie was maybe Awful. the worst football game that any I, of us I, have I ever watch, seen? I watch Red Zone most of the day. Um and occasionally would flip back. So when, when, when there really wasn't a lot of games on the line in red zone, so I'm like, I'll watch the end of the series. That's a, the main game left in the day, right? So I watched the end of regulation, probably the last six, seven minutes, and then all of the overtime. That was truly some of the worst football I've ever seen. Well, it got to the point where if I were one of those teams, I would have wanted to be on defense. You right, had a better right. chance of a pick six or them snapping the ball over the quarterback's right, head and picking it right. up in the rain. Like, there was no chance of either offense moving forward. They just kept going backwards on every and, snap. And, and then the one time that Detroit moves forward, the stupid tight end holds out in space, costs him, costs him some major yards. Oh, they're and both had, a bunch of cheaters. And, and then and then you bring in the big fat porn star kicker to try to make the, the field goal, and he can't even kick one. He, it was a 48-yard attempt, and he couldn't even – he barely got it to the end zone. Yeah, that, that was it, 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 it looked like the poor high school kicker you tried out, and you go, hey, I know this is out of your range, but just give it a shot for fun anyway. I mean, it was, it was embarrassingly bad. It really was. It, this game, I, I expect this game to just be absolutely hideous and that game, as well. And that, and that game deserved to end the way it ended with a fumble. That, that, that was the perfect oh, yeah. end. Who could outbad the other? Yeah, without question. The Steelers games have all been ugly for the most part. They I really think this have. game will be no exception. I'm going to go 21-17. Chargers win, but Steelers cover, and the number stays under. And finally, that takes us to the Giants at the Bucks. The Bucks are an 11 point favorite. The total is 49 and a half. Yeah, Bucks are reeling a little bit here, but I think this is the Tom Tom Brady get right game. I think he he loves the lights. It's the Giants are bad, and I think they hang a big number here. I'm just gonna I'm not even gonna go into any more analysis other than Tampa 38, Giants 17. So Tampa and the over for me. We're together on the over. I'm going to roll with the Giants here to cover just barely. I'm going to say Bucks 31, Giants 21. And really, I'm just going back to what uh, we opened with, which is the dogs are winning at almost a 58% clip against the spread, 57.7% of the time right now in the NFL. Also, the away teams are winning 57% of the time against the spread. When you see these big double-digit numbers like this, if it's an away team, if it's an underdog by double digits, they've been pretty successful this year, and I haven't been betting enough of them. So right now, that's my theory. Because normally, I'd see this number, and I'd go bucked, and I've been getting crushed in the NFL games on this pick So I'm going Giants. The Giants are playing better. I mean, two out of the last three they've won, and the one loss was a three-pointer at the Chiefs on a Monday night. So your point's valid. I just I think this is the Tom Brady sick of the way they're playing, and and he lets the whole world know about it on Monday night. That sounds very logical to me. Trust me, I don't like any of the picks that I'm making right now, but I've got to change it up. I'm going, I'm changing up my logic. I'm reading a little deeper, you know, doing some self-evaluating and trying to make some adjustments. Some some self, some self-scouting. You got to do it. Yeah, you got to sometimes. So, all right. Uh, We've got an ask any anything question or two. I don't know if we have anything really good, but they're all good. We can give it a try. 
Jed Demusi wants to know which member of the Beatles would you most want to have your back in a bar fight? Ringo, for some reason. Yeah, I, I think that's an obvious answer. I thought that was. Yeah. I mean, just look at them. All of them look kind of soft, except Ringo looks a little homeless or like he has a propensity to like math. And he, and he he has um, he has experience swinging, you know, hit, hitting a stick on something. So I mean, he's he's you know, as, as a well, drummer, he's got some experience doing that. And I I like I don't want to make allegations here, but didn't he admit that he was like abusive towards his family too? So, oh, that I don't that I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know, that, know that for sure either. Maybe we should scratch that from the record. But yeah. I think I read that at one point. So. Um, you know, if not, I said allegedly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think not, Ringo Ringo's the easy answer for me. Yeah, I thought that was a, a no brainer as soon as I read it. I didn't. I was like, why is that even a question? What What are you going to say, Paul? Yeah, I like Paul. Paul be the one I'd like to have a beer with if I had. It could have a have a sure. beer. Sure. Oh yeah, if you were singing karaoke, if yeah. you were uh, going on one of the late night shows, yeah, he's the best guest to have. He's the nicest guy, but like, that's not who you want fighting with you. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'd, I'd like to have a beer with him, but not have a fight with him. Here's the issue: all of them wear scarves. <laughs> that, that's just a fact. You don't want a guy who wears scarves having your back in a bar fight. That's probably fair. That's a good point. That's just a rule that I've always kind of gone by. Uh, I don't know. I, I'll give this a try. Uh, which current or former Cincinnati athlete would Skinny most like to fight in an MMA match? I- <laughs> you don't strike me as an MMA guy, but maybe there's a good answer that you just really yeah. hate someone enough. I was just saying, I'm trying to think if there's anybody I hate enough. You know, like I, I think I could take on and and and, and be competitive with, and maybe even win. Who? Randy Randy Bullock. Uh, I think if I, ran, I think if I ran around the ring long enough, I tire him out. I don't know. That man has some big calves. Yeah, he does, but he also he, cramped up. But he's not in good enough shape, though. He he cramp up on himself there, and then I'd have him. Oh yeah, I mean because you or I are in much better shape. Than Randy Bullock. I mean, like, you would assume he, if we did this, I would take this somewhat seriously and get in some semblance of, of better shape. Yeah, well, maybe I look, I don't think that's a terrible guy to go after, but I just think he's a little too thick. I'd rather if like I'm going that route, I'm just going after like Shane Graham. Go after the ginger, the skinny ginger. <laughs> that's not a bad call either. Actually, Yeah, I, you could take Shane Graham, but I mean, that goes for pretty much everyone. I Everybody. Know. Yeah, that's, good. yeah, that's a good call. I mean, I, I don't know someone who couldn't take Shane Graham for the most part. Yeah, I, you I mean, know what's I, funny? We were actually talking about this. I went to the Dave Chappelle uh, documentary last deal night? at Heritage Bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, one, of my, one of the guys I coach with, uh, he went. I wanted to hear out. How, how did it go? How was it? It was okay. It's weird. Uh, you know, it's a different experience. You're like they're watching a two-hour documentary. They had Jeff Ross open and do a little bit of his roasting and stuff like that. Then a two-hour documentary, and then you go right into a musical concert with some crappy rapper from Dayton doing one song. High Tech and Talib Kweli, who are both from Cincinnati, doing one song. And then Bone Thugs playing like an entire concert, which was pretty cool. Um, I'm not a huge Bone Thugs fan, but they had like three or four songs that I'd never seen them play live. So it was it was nice. I'm a fan of at least a few of their songs. And then Erica Badu was supposed to wrap it all up, but she like didn't come on for another like 30 minutes. And at some point I'm like, I've got what time was this? I was like, I've got an overnight this? shift to work. Yeah, yeah, it was like, and and your phones are locked up, so you're even like everyone's looking around, like what time is it is it? Because no one wears watches anymore. Um, so yeah, it was like we didn't leave until like maybe ten forty five, eleven p.m. Wow, something like that. Okay, wow. And Erica Badu was just coming on, so. Nope. Uh, but, empty your audience. 
I, that was neither here nor there. That wasn't the point. While we were there and, and while we were at dinner, we were talking about the idea of, you know, how 50 West Brewery does that punch oh, out yeah. event. Oh, every yeah. year. Dude, I, I, dude, I, 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 um, I judged it one year. Did you really? I did. It was, a, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. Damn. How can you get us to do that again? That would be sweet. I'd, I, I will we... try. I will ask my guy, Paul Daner. He's the one that asked me the last time. But also I was saying, I would like to fight in one of those. Like just one time in my life, I would like to be in a real boxing match. It, it, it is kind of funny. The, believe it or not, the, the, the women really get at it pretty, get after yeah. it pretty good. That, that, those are the ones. Some of the guys, it's, it's, it, well, they're it wearing really, headgear. Yeah. And, but, and guys, some get of it looks, tired too but, but, but yeah, some of it looks really awkward because they get tired. But a couple, there were a couple of really good matches, actually. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd like to where, do it. Where honestly, taking- there was one where there was this semi skinnyish guy against a big guy. And, and I'm kind of turned to one of the judges. I said, one of two things is going to happen. The big guy is really not going to be able to move or he's going to level this cat out in about one. The skinny guy kicked his ass. I mean, he was just all over him. It looked like a, a, a gnat swarming on a, on a, on a human being. He was just all over that guy. Yeah. You don't want a big difference in speed, quickness, and endurance. Right. If you're getting right. into one of those things. Well, and, and the big amateur. guy was, was, was jacked up to it. Cause I kept thinking if he can extend and land, he is going to drop this dude. He just never could do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of these guys aren't, aren't fighters and it shows. And I mean, and not, not saying that I am, I would just, I think it would be fun to be in that experience once, and, like do it one time it, in a sanctioned boxing match. Cause I think they do. I'm doing this all the time. Cause I did it 18, I guess it was 20, maybe 2017. It's been a couple years. Um, I think it's three rounds, maybe five. I think three is the right number. Oh, three it rounds. can't be five. It, yeah, yeah. I think it's three. I think it's, three. I think it's three. And the thing that is interesting, and some of these guys do come in really good shape, right? Not all, but some of them do. And it's exhausting. I mean, you can see, that's why, that's when you look at, at, at 15 round heavyweight fights, those guys have got to put themselves in just ridiculous shape to lie. And they get exhausted too. But I'm talking about these guys were literally out of gas and they didn't punch themselves out in three rounds. They were just out of gas in three rounds. Which media members would you pay the most to see a, a pay-per-view between? Media members? Yeah, like which two local media members would we put in a... Ken, in a- Ken, Ken Brew and Chick Ludwig. <laughs> That's a lot of uh, brittleness in that no, ring I think there. I, they better drink their Metamucil before they head into the <laughs> ring. Those yeah. two guys are a little they, up there. They, they come with the energy. I like. They both come with the energy. I think they'd do it. Who would you yeah. have in mind? Who would you have in mind? Oh, I'd go. Uh, I'd go younger. I, I think. Um, I don't know. Is oh, there anyone on the bench that would be good? How, how, how about our guy Bob Herzog versus Mike Dardis? Ooh, now you're talking the old uh, quarter zip. Mike, have you ever have you ever watched uh, Mike Dardis's tweets? Um, I have not. Man, man wears the same quarter zip in every picture. That's why. Well, I, I, I'm a big quarter zip guy. How about? How about this one? George Vogel v. Gary Miller. Oh, I, I hate to say this. I, I like our guy G, G. Miller, but uh, I think that would be a tough matchup for him. Yeah, I think I think George might get him. George, George looks like he could throw around some weight, and I feel like George might have been in a bar fight or two back in his day. I think George probably has been in a bar and, fight and, or two back and granted, in his day. I, I wouldn't put it past Gary to maybe have, have thrown down once or twice as well, yeah. but I just... George still looks like he could uh, give it hell. I mean, he's 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 from Georgetown, Ohio, baby. They 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 make him tough there, as you know. Yeah, you know you know what would be a good little uh, duo to to split up and make them go at it is is Rao and and Daneman. That'd be an interesting one. I think the, uh, both of them are in decent shape. I yes, think, they are. I think Rao keeps it a little tighter. I think he's working out a little harder than Daneman, but I think 
I give the edge to Daneman in the fight. Yeah, I, I think Daneman's I, I, a little I, bit grittier. I played pickup hoops with Daneman back in the day. He's, he's, he's got a little toughness. Yeah, the Danemans some, have some toughness. Yeah. Low key. Yeah. Their dad was a hard ass. Yeah, I, I, that that would be an interesting one to see. Yeah, their their dad was an old doctor type, and he coached us in baseball in like Knothole. Doc and, Daneman, uh, baby. Yeah, Doc D, and he was the type of guy that like uh, you know stop it with your teeth type of guy. Love you, it. You, a, you know me. A, I love that. I love that kind a of guy. serious leg injury, and he's like, well, God gave you two of them. You know that type of thing. So he was uh, one of those old classic. Old school coaches. Yep. Yeah, just rub some dirt on it, baby. Yeah. Well, that's probably enough of this nonsense. We didn't really yep. have any other good questions to get all, to. So all, all good. We knocked out about an hour. That's a good podcast. Appreciate everybody listening. We'll be back uh, Sunday with our Bengals postgame podcast um, after they play the Raiders on the West Coast. Uh, so stay tuned for that. We'll be back with this podcast one week from today. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. <laughs>